Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's good to be with you once again. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to provide a replay of a conference I spoke at that was hosted by my good friend and fellow colleague, Kaylee Dunn. She did a summit online conference some time ago called Love You Now and invited me to be a guest. And I thought we had such a great discussion that I wanted to share it with you guys with her permission. So that's what we're going to do today. Before we dive into the discussion with Kaylee, I do want to tell you about a free resource that I've made available here. You can find the link in the show notes. It's called the First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. And this is a video course that I created to help couples understand how to navigate the first days, weeks, months of betrayal. This is such a difficult and chaotic time. And there are some great resources in this little video course. It's packed with information and will give you a lot of guidance and support as you begin this journey. Even if you've been on the path of healing for some time, I'm amazed at how many people have skipped steps. So go to the show notes, click on the link, and you'll receive it right away. I know it will be a great resource for you. All right, let's dive into my interview with Kaylee Dunn. Let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. So when you're healing from betrayal trauma, it's actually pretty normal to still wonder how you're going to keep the relationship alive. It's one of those strange things where it's like, man, this person has totally injured me so badly. I want to run for the hills. But then there's another part of the betrayed partner who's feeling connected, who feels a longing, who might wonder what's going to happen to their future. And they may not be ready to totally give up the relationship right now. It's such a confusing time. And that push and pull, that desire to run, to stay, can leave a partner feeling crazy. And sometimes they feel like they have to pick one or the other. Thankfully, you don't have to. Thankfully, you can observe, you can slow down, you can have other options besides running for the hills or staying in something that's not working. So again, it's pretty normal to still wonder how to keep the relationship alive, even though you're not sure if it's even alive. So if you're completely done with the relationship and you've moved on, then this interview is probably not for you. However, if you're working toward relationship recovery and you think you want to move toward ultimately reconciling, reconnecting as a goal, then this is a great discussion to listen in on. Kaylee and I talk about how to still keep that flame alive, and I would even call it a pilot flame or a little tiny flame for a lot of people, how to allow that to still burn in the background while you're trying to figure out what you want, whether you want to heal together or alone, and really how to still stay connected at a distance while this is happening. Such a tricky subject, so delicate, so many big emotions that come up with it. But I love the nuance and the way that Kaylee and I both are able to talk through this together. We both care deeply about helping couples heal. Kaylee has some great resources on helping partners heal. And I think you'll really enjoy this discussion. So let's jump into my conversation with Kaylee Dunn from the Love You Now Betrayal Trauma Summit. 
We are here today with the one and only, what do we say? The man, the myth, the legend. Oh, Jeff yeah. <laughs> That's what my kids call me. <laughs> yeah. Jeff and I have been kind of bumping into each other for a long time in all different sorts of ways, but I'm so glad that he's a friend and a colleague of mine and that he's willing to come in. And today we're actually going to do a little bit of a different format because he's a podcaster and he's used to doing more conversational interview styles. And that's just his jam. That's what we're going to do for today's presentation. So buckle up. It's going to be really good. And we're talking about some really nuanced things today. So just as I've mentioned in other sessions, we're going to leave cameras off. We're going to stay muted until the end. And you're welcome to use the chat box to ask questions, especially because we're going to be just kind of dialoguing here and chatting back and forth. You want to join the conversation, you're welcome to in the chat box. And then kind of when we get close to ending time, for sure, though, we'll make sure we set us some some specific time for questions. And if you have any, you can ask those in the chat box. But little thing that I've been kind of saying every day as well, that some things that we talk about, you might not agree with. Some things might trigger, especially today, because we are this session, this workshop, we're going to be talking about some really nuanced stuff. And depending on where you're at in your journey, it may not be for you right now. You might go, this is not for me. <laughs> you might go, okay, this is for me. Maybe I can make some space for it and go to the edge of this. It might push you a little bit. And it might be right what you're looking for. And if you find yourself triggered, you can always take breaks. You can always log out and log back in. You can always listen to it recorded later. But make sure you're listening in, trusting your gut and going with what what fits and what works for you. And I think that's it. But I do want to do a tiny introduction for Jeff. I mean, I don't know that I need to. Many people know you from your podcast, From Crisis to Connection. And is that the full term for a full name? Crisis to Connection? Yeah, right? from Crisis to Connection. Okay, yeah. I got it. I got it. Okay. And your wife, Jody is on the podcast with you. She's incredible. And you've been doing that for how many years now? I've been podcasting with her for about six months, but I've done the podcast for four years now. Yeah, four years. And you've been in this betrayal, trauma, sexual addiction, sexual compulsion world for like 20 years, right? You've been treating this stuff and specializing it and working with couples, especially for from the beginning. So you're one of the OGs who really knows this stuff on a deep level. You've seen it all. And so that's why I really wanted to bring you in and have this kind of nuanced, balanced conversation. And so even the title almost felt like a little backwards, which is, <laughs> you know, how do I love at a distance? Because I know that that's an important part. And we'll get into the definitions of that in a bit. But how do I love at a distance, but also keep the flame alive so that doesn't go out? Can I do that? Can we, as a partnership that's trying to work through betrayal, can we do that? How do we do that? When is it not a smart thing <laughs> to try to keep that flame alive, right? When are moments where we're going, actually, no, that shouldn't be my focus, maybe. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. So we can start with my first question. Um, somebody's asking really quick, what's a good place to start on your podcast if we're just tuning in? Oh, like episodes? I think that's what they're they're saying. Yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, I think that I've got a if you can just go to my website and I've got all of them on there and there's a lot of them on different topics, betrayal, trauma. A lot of people just go there and just start scanning through the different archives. I've got like yeah. 170 episodes. And early on, the podcast was a lot of interviews with other colleagues of mine, people that I interviewed, authors and so on, therapists. And then lately, my wife and I are doing pretty much the podcast, just the two of us now talking through topics and digging into different things. So if there's a particular topic you're interested in, chances are we've covered some or part of it in 170 episodes. It's like free therapy. So just- <laughs> yeah. Just it go really through is. it all. There's, It's all out there for the taking. And there are some, I mean, some of my favorite betray betrayal trauma episodes 
you know, I love the stuff with Jill Manning. She's a legend. She's and a legend. She would say she's not a legend, but she's a legend. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the stuff I did with Carmel White, her episodes. Kaylee and I did one on what to do about your husband's pain and should you care about that? I mean, so that's a really nuanced discussion. So there's everything from like immediate safety stuff all the way to this more nuanced stuff that Kaylee and I seem to enjoy talking about. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, we do. And I was going to, I was actually going to say the same thing. Like he has a really good little search bar and there are times where I'll go on there and I'm like, I wonder if somebody, cause he's got all the, all the greats that he's really chatted with on his podcast. So there's a lot of, I wonder if he's talked to this person and then, and then, oh yeah, he has. And so use that little hourglass, whatever that thing's called, that hourglass. Oh yeah. The search bar. Yeah. Search bar thing. Uh huh. Because yeah, just a wealth of information. So great question. Thank you. So today I wanted to kind of start our discussion with with a question that really I want to lay the foundation with safety as you kind of just kind of briefly mentioned. Um, And so I wonder if you talk to us or with us about the spectrum of abuse and betrayal in betraying relationships and what we need to know about that. So what's the foundational part? Where do we start when it comes to this bonding stuff, but also recognizing that there's abuse there. So what does that mean? Yeah, that's yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's a great place to start. The reason it feels so crappy when you've, when you're going through betrayal trauma is because there's been abuse. And it's funny because like using any other word other than abuse really only protects the abuser. It doesn't protect the person who's experiencing it on the other end. I think it was Lundy Bancroft who said that when somebody's being abusive, a lot of the times they want to focus on their feelings and your behavior, right? It's like, well, stop being so sensitive or stop this or that. Stop doing this. Stop bringing things up. You know, that's hurting me. Da, da, da. But like the truth is, is that healing is going to happen when that flips and the abusive person is focused on your feelings and their behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, so in terms of why it hurts so bad and why your feelings are just so raw is because abuse is basically, I think it was Steven Stosny who, who said that like, being abusive is where you're denying somebody their reality, where mm-hmm. you're diminishing somebody's reality. And that can happen through the silent treatment and treat them like they don't even exist. That mm-hmm. can happen from gaslighting somebody and, and manipulating their reality by pretending something didn't happen when you know it did. Mm-hmm. It can happen by raising your voice and trying to make them smaller, diminish them because you're now aggressive and you're going to corner them and bully them into silence or or changing their mind. It can happen by breaking promises and going against and making the other person think that somehow there's something wrong with them for like not being okay with it or not being flexible or open or whatever. So abuse shows up in so many ways. And, and really the abuse is like, it's the intention of, of erasing somebody else's reality. It's erasing their, making them smaller, diminishing them, breaking them down. And really, really nice, good, well-intentioned people can be abusive. You know, I've done abusive things in my own marriage. I've done abusive things with my kids. Yes. I feel like it doesn't serve anybody to act like that's not a pretty normal human experience. And the healing comes when we can get honest about it and say, you know what? I diminished you. I, you know, I stopped listening to you. I I shut you out. I iced you out. I overwhelmed you. And then the, the repair can start because naming it as abuse and even putting it on a spectrum is fine and being able to say, well... I have abusive attitudes here and it comes out in my language versus like I held you down or beat you up. Right. I mean, yes, those are different in yes. terms of the, what the trauma looks and feels like. But but on the one end of the continuum, applied over time can be just as destructive as yes. a one-time incident. 
And so you have to recognize that all of the whole continuum is harmful, but some are more acute and some are more long-term, but they're all destructive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, reading Dr. Freyd, I think is how you say her last name. She's the betrayal trauma, you know, creator and, and term. She talks about betrayal trauma in systemic level and on individualistic level. She just says, abuse is betrayal. <laughs> betrayal is abuse, right? And right. Um, I love the way that you said that, you know, not using that term. And I, I know for a time that I wasn't even 100% on board with this kind of language because it felt so different, but really because we'd kind of been trained not to use that language, right? Because although we have so much gratitude for our forefathers and our foremothers and all the work that they've done in informing how we treat betrayal and how we deal with sexual addiction and how we deal with with those things, we have so much gratitude. There was a heavy emphasis for the betraying partner, right? Right? Because we were all like, let's fix him or her. Let's fix the person that's betraying and we'll all feel better. But we weren't really understanding the depth of betrayal and that that individual who's been betrayed has an injury and that we've got to, that the language that we use really matters. And we unintentionally, and our forefathers and foremothers unintentionally re-traumatized people by not calling yeah. calling it what it was. So Well, I and even overemphasizing behavioral change and not even getting into attitudes and thinking patterns around abusive entitlement, things like that. And so you've got people like Kim Day and others who are doing some great work in this space yes. around putting abuse on a continuum, everything from like, you can be low. I had her on my podcast as well. It's one of my, my most downloaded episodes, Kimberly Day. And she talks about, you know, you can be low acting out, low behaviorally on sexual addiction or, you know, sexual acting out, but you can be super high on abusive entitlement and behaviors. And so you've got all these people that are textbook sort of technically cleared off as sober, but they're a nightmare to live with. Right. They're defensive. They're blaming. They're avoidant. They're shut down. They're, you know, there's still dishonesty. There's all this stuff. And it's like, you know, then, then they can flip it back on you because all the books say, well, you know, look at me, I've passed off. I'm not, you know, I've got my chip or whatever, and I'm not looking at pornography or acting out sexually. And so we've got to include that as part of the conversation because it is, it is breaking people down. Absolutely. Yeah. I love her work. Um, I think she's also on the Healing with Worth podcast and does a little yes. series there that a lot of people also yeah. both of those. And I love the one that she does on yours too. So being able to, and so when we say nuanced, it's really just being able to see the different gradients, but we're still calling a spade a spade. <laughs> we're saying like, this is what it is. And and that's really important. So the reason I bring this up is because sometimes, right? Like you said, I've done abusive things to my spouse and child. I've done harm in the way that you've described it, right? We, you have as well in our own relationships. And we also have a good heart and we're doing our best to be good people and to connect. Right. And oftentimes, again, on that spectrum, we might have someone who acts out sexually with an addiction or a compulsion or whatever. And their betrayed partner will say, well, he really is very nurturing or he really has this good heart. And I can sense that from my intuition. When I get calm, I'm going like, you know, he's trying, sure. he's trying. And we've got so many different voices, right? So we have a lot of voices that are like, you should leave his ass. Like, just leave his ass. If he's not going to do it, then he's right. He's an abuser. He's an abuser. It's dangerous. Get yeah. away. Exactly. And, and all well-meaning, of course, all well-meaning. And then on the flip side, we have the other side. It's like, well, if he's not acting out, <laughs> you can just stick around. So, so let's talk a little bit about, okay, so <laughs> I'm in a relationship where the level of damage is happening, right? I'm betrayed, I'm traumatized, so I am getting triggered regularly, but, but I do want to see this through. Maybe I'm in the messy middle. Maybe I'm in limbo. I'm in the wait and see. 
where does love at a distance come in and how does that help us? What is the principle for those who don't know it? And how can that help us in that messy middle of just trying to figure out like, who the heck am I freaking married to if I'm in the crisis stage? Yeah. And then also, how does love at a distance help us with our mental health and our self-care and that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. It's my next book, Kaylee. I'm thinking I'm just going to steal your title. <laughs> That's all well, right. How about I help you thing- write it? We, we write it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll team up. We'll team up. Um, but the thing is, is that your title is exactly the same spirit, the same kind of nuanced duality that, I, that, that I've been working in. I mean, 12 years ago when we published Love You, Hate the Poor, and that's that same dialectical, right? Yeah. It's I love you, I care about you, but I hate this and I hate you for doing it. And so it's sitting here with this tension. In my experience in working with betrayed partners and couples all these years, there are very, very few of them who aren't somehow holding space for the relationship. They are motivated deeply. And it's a it's a survival imperative to care about that relationship and the co-regulation that comes with us. It's very stabilizing when it's working correctly. And we crave it, we desire it. We're not weak or pathetic or regressive or codependent or whatever. It is our nature, it is our biology. And the the thing is, is that healthy relationships only healthy relationships exist when you can sit with that tension, right? So like, and we do it all the time. We, you know, it's like you have an argument with your spouse and you leave the house and you can't resolve it and you go to work that day and you're just like in your head, just like, you know, but you're having to like, you know, you're not going to make any crazy decisions. You're not going to like just drive to a divorce attorney on the way home and just end it because you're so tired of them. It's just like, you're sitting with that tension. I love them. I feel misunderstood. This is bull crap. And then you drive home and you eventually somehow hopefully work out. But that tension is is actually good for our relationships because it keeps us turning toward them. Mm-hmm. It keeps us kind of like tuned into the to the relationship. So the truth, I guess the truth bomb, if you want to call it that, that I want to, I really want to drop for this presentation, for this conversation is this, is that I I want you to know that every boundary that you set, everything you do for safety, every limit that you need to set, every time you raise your voice to speak up and self-advocate, every time you do self-care, all of that stuff, every single one of those is 100% relational and good for your relationship. Yes. We can't just live in this place like, well, that's just for me or I'm just whatever. Because here's the thing, a guy that's betrayed his wife, for her to like say to him, I am not okay with that, or you need to sleep on the couch, or I won't be treated like that. That's an invitation for him to seek connection and to repair. And that is relational. That is relational. And that is like the heartbeat of good long-term betrayal, trauma, and couples recovery, which is you're blending these two worlds all the time. So this idea that like separate, heal myself over here and betrayal trauma, and like, I'm not really focused on the relationship. Not true. Every boundary you set is relational. Everything you do is designed to heal this relationship. It doesn't mean you're managing him. It doesn't, you know, that's all the stuff you've got to learn and work on, not over-functioning, et cetera. But I just want you to see that those little threads are happening every single day, all the way through the process. And so if you're worried like, oh, what do we do about the relationship? Well, you're doing something about it if you're taking care of yourself. Well, and I love that, especially for those who are like, I know there were parts like setting down, you know, we we talk about surrender and, and those sorts of principles. And there were fears for me, like, well, if I sweep my side of the street, what's going to happen to the relationship? Because nobody yeah. else is man in that station, right? right? Like I'm the right. only one man in that station. <laughs> and what's going to happen to it? Because, and so giving that for those who are really invested, which most of us are, you know, 
going through hell, that invested level, right? So invested, knowing that like, even though your partner may look you in the face and be like, you're terrible to me for setting this boundary, you're mean to me, because there's going to be backlash, there's going to be upset, there's going to be all of that, that what you're saying is really, even in those moments where it feels negative, if I'm doing something that's healthy, if I'm doing self-love work, if, even if that means you have to be over there and I have to be over here doing self-love, that's actually potential. And I always say it's the potential for the health of the relationship, right? Because the other person technically can choose to go like, well, I don't that's care. That's right. And exit. Yeah. But all of that is really in potential, in service of the potential for a healthy relationship when you get healthy. Right. The, the potential depends on their response, but you doing that there's nothing potential about that. You doing That's it true. is a relational intention. It is, right, it is absolutely right. coming in the service of the relationship. And, and I mean, every time my wife sets a limit with me for whatever reason it is, you know, hey, you know, for example, real boundary in my marriage. Hey, Jeff, I don't really like you talking to me when I first wake up, right? Okay. That's a request, but it's an opportunity. It's an invitation for me to, to love her and support her from a distance. Right. And let's use that example as perfect because- Every morning that you wake up and you give her space, you're showing her in action the love you have for her and how exactly. deep, you know, how much depth is that opportunity she opened and that you're choosing to show. So, and I if she that. hadn't set that boundary, hadn't said that to me, then I'm just yammering on in the morning because I wake up, you know, like a puppy <laughs> oh, no. dog, all ready to go, just like <laughs> oh, wagging no. my tail, and I'm just I'm a morning person and she's not, and so. Yeah. So that could do more damage. Right. But it's, you're absolutely right. When I'm sitting there, like this morning, we're getting ready in the closet and I just smile at her and she smiles at me and we are not talking to each other. I don't even say good morning. We just like mm -hmm. smile at each other. It's just like, there's peace. It's quiet. She wants to be in her head and her body and just sort of like move through the morning quietly. And that only took me probably 10 years to figure out how to do that. But right. the thing is, is that that whole thing is relational if I'll allow it to be. And if I don't allow it to be, then it doesn't mean that she's ruining the relationship, right? right? That's exactly. the lie. And that's the part that it's like, if you're afraid to set a limit because you're worried about ruining the relationship, you single-handedly aren't going to ruin the relationship by asking for what you need. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. It's on the other person choosing to disrespect your boundaries and your requests, right? And even if it's not like, you know, something they can do easily or they even struggle with or whatever, you can still have a, again, back to my definition or Stephen Stasian's definition of abuse. They don't have to diminish your reality. They can stay with you in it mm. in a loving, respectful space. And that allows you to still be relational. So a lot of, a lot of women that I've worked with, they're just like, ah, oh, I can't, I mean, early recovery, like you just can't, or other therapists will say this, like you can't work on the relationship. There's nothing you can do relationally early on. I'm like, oh no, man, from discovery, you're immediately working on the relationship with your limits, boundaries, safety, everything like that is all is all about, like you said, potentially stabilizing. It doesn't mean you're taking charge of it and having to manage it all yourself. There's just an opportunity to strengthen it. Yeah. I mean, the, the phrase I always use is like, you might have your own sides of the street, but until there's a divorce and lack of co-parenting, that street still exists, right? That attachment doesn't go away. Even if you're co-parenting and you're separated, the street exists and we can't, and I think pretending it doesn't exist can actually be an unintentional little gaslighting for a betrayed spouse because we're constantly like, no, 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 don't look over there. 
don't look on the other side yeah. of the curtain. Something's and, wrong with you if you care about and, that. And I'm like, no, there's a street and it's covered in garbage, right? Like <laughs> it exists. So always going back to like, it exists and what you're doing is influencing it. Yes. And like you said, whatever your partner chooses, you don't get to control. And that is important to recognize. But the positive things that I'm putting in are creating as much opportunity as possible. And that matters. And that's important. Right. Because a lot of times betrayed partners will believe that working on the relationship means having sex when they don't want to, or yeah. going on dates when they don't feel safe, or staying in conversations that they shouldn't be having, right? or you know, et cetera. And so, but relational work can be dressed up in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of the guys I work with all, you know, they'll, they'll be like, how is me moving out of the house going to strengthen our relationship? Right. And I'm like, well, is it the, probably the first time you've taken your wife seriously? Right. Is it like the first time you've yes. ever like really honored like her need for like peaceful conditions? Like you can be a center of peace for your family, even 10 miles away. Like, exactly. you know, she's still holding you in her mind and her heart, but she just doesn't have to fight with you anymore. Yeah. So it's all relational. Yeah. So let's talk about loving at a distance. Okay. The concept, right, is that I can take care of myself and I can have self-love and and whatever that means. And you gave some really great examples. It might mean sleeping on the couch. It might mean creating physical space, different bedrooms. Uh, My husband and I had a full separation for a month that needed to happen. And so it can mean a full separation. It can mean emotional separation. One example from my own relationship I'll give, and then you can give more examples yourself as well, was that there was a point in which I realized every time I tried to engage in conversations where we would be dysregulated, it would right. go into chaos. It was yeah. not in the favor of the relationship. And I had to do this backwards thing where if I sensed dysregulation and anybody, if I sensed that they were dysregulated or I sensed myself becoming dysregulated, I had to say, I'm not having this conversation. And I had to shut it down and take a break. It's like a John Gottman thing, right? So it sounds pretty simple, but I was a therapist even, and it took time to get to the point where I could it's say, hard. whoa, 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 especially as a pursuer. I'm like, it's hard to just pull the reins back and go, okay, I will not have a conversation with a dysregulated conversation right. with you about this topic, period. There's my boundary. And that walking away with him in tears or him hurting or him aching in those moments because of the way that he was hurting and aching and the way that I was wounded, I had to love him at a distance and say, I love you. I care about you. I cannot do this conversation. So talk to me about either the, this example or you can give other examples. How is that still in favor of the relationship? How is that yeah. still, in the, at least in that, that example, was actually supporting keeping that flame alive in a way? Well, yeah. Let me zoom out a bit and just give you maybe a, just a, a more, I don't know, I would say maybe a more dramatic example. Sure. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they are, let's say, you know, verbally or physically abusing you and you are in like immediate, immediate danger, like it is really unsafe, allowing them to continue treating you like that mm. is the most unloving thing you could even do for them right? To allow them to believe that somehow this is okay. And for them to be basically betraying their own deep commitment that they won't hurt you. Because, you know, there's a ton of men in prison who would say that they absolutely love their wives and their kids who have totally hurt them or betrayed them deeply. Yeah. At their core, their deepest core values for all of us is to protect those we love. And so there's all kinds of other things that get in the way and there's all this drama, you know, so people get violent, aggressive, whatever. And my point is, is that when we sort of act like what's happening is like fine, or we're not going to stop it because we're scared. And I get that 
this is a bigger conversation, but my example here is that you stopping something is the most loving thing you can do for yourself, for the relationship, but even for the other person, because to allow them to violate their own deepest core values on a regular basis is, you know, so a lot of times like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to be unloving. I don't want to be rude or a jerk or whatever. And it's like, no, like helping people live their deepest values, keeping their deepest commitments is the kindest thing we can do. And so walking away from an argument, like your example, that's not going well, that's dysregulated, stopping a harmful, abusive pattern, calling something out, setting and enforcing a personal boundary to protect you know, yourself and to keep that from perpetuating on. I mean, those to me are like very much the definition of love. I can't yeah. think of a more loving thing to do than that. Because, but we don't see that anywhere else. There's no cultural reinforcement for that because love, you know, is pink and wrapped up and beautiful and like has all this sweetness to it. And it's just like got violins and whatever. And like, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes love sounds like a, you know, a steel door going down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it reminds me of a Brene Brown quote where she says, like, I am not sweet anymore, but I'm a heck of a lot more loving because of the boundaries yeah. that I set, you know, so exactly. it's not going to be syrupy. And I also heard in what you were saying too, that it's freaking hard. There's a question I'm going to go to in a minute over here, but it's freaking hard. And there's a level of sacrifice and courage and yes. effort and so much sacrifice going into speaking up and saying no and walking away because it's kind of like, and I, I don't want to say, oh, the betraying partner is a child because I'm not saying that, but there are moments in parenting where we have to we might have a tantruming child that is glazed over and there's nothing we can do to fix it except kind of sit next to them a little bit over here and just wait for the tantrum to end, you know, those moments. And in a way, you know, we kind of have to do the same for our partners at time where it's just like, I can't engage on the same level. There's a question yes. over here, I think. So, so they're saying, how do you work through and love a person who doesn't talk? He's not unsafe, but he doesn't know how to talk when he's so full of shame. And I find this equally painful not being heard. Mm, yeah. So I'd love your take on that. Yeah, man, that is hard. Well, I, you know, I, I hope that they're doing shame work, that they're doing whatever trauma work they need to do individually, your husband, I assume. And so it's important to make sure that part of the love is saying, for me to feel close to you and safe with you, it involves, you know, pair bonding relationships, it, it's a call and response system. And so when we call, we expect them to respond. Like there's a, and so that may be going on. It may not be with words. And so if there are places where there is a call and response, they might physically respond by coming closer to you or staying near you. And that can be a signal that says they're still in it. They still care that you still mean something to them. You may only be looking for words. And so there's lots of ways to do the call and response thing. But if you're saying, Words are really important to me. They, they heal my heart. They feel really soothing to me. And I need you to, you know, as we would say to our children, use your words, find your words. That can be learned. Now, this husband or whoever may not be super chatty or really self-disclosing, you know, at, at the level you might fantasize about. But with, you know, I think with adequate trauma work and doing men's work, there's lots of men's groups that I love every man. And there's others that really teach men how to access and talk about their emotions and overcome shame. And sometimes doing that in the community of men is so much easier and safer than with their wife. So, I mean, I attend a men's group every Thursday night through a men's organization, and we just get together and just talk about our stuff. And 
There's guys in there dealing with all kinds of stuff. And some weeks I don't feel like I have a lot of things to share. And other weeks I'm surprised at what's inside of me and I'm talking about stuff. So just as men, we need places where we can talk and open up because culturally, you know, we just don't have a lot of support for that. And the stakes are very high with your wife. Like men feel generally like, you know, almost like it's going to be sudden death if they say the wrong thing or they don't want to get it wrong. And so having places where they can practice opening up, whether it's a 12 step group or a men's group or in therapy, that can be learned. And so I hope he'll be willing to do that. If he won't do that, if he's totally unwilling, unmotivated, that's where you have to look closely at yourself and say, what can or can I tolerate? And what am I going to, that's where your boundary work comes in, in terms of deciding how you'll manage that. But there's a lot of resources. It doesn't have to just be him sitting there in silence with no resources. There's lots of help out there for this. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Would just add to that, that maybe just an amen, that it's not uncommon shame in a freeze mode response, like a paralysis mm-hmm. response is very common. Like you said, Jeff, the stakes are very high and none of that is excuses. So anytime we provide some empathy or some like explanation for what might be going on inside of someone who's doing things like stonewalling that is hurtful. So it's not uncommon for them to become paralyzed. Like you said, you sense in your gut that he's not unsafe and that this isn't an an intention. It's not like he lays at night, like, you know, what's going to F her up? Not talking. There are people that do that, right? But you're sensing in your gut, like, you know what, I don't think he's unsafe, but he is struggling hard and he is paralyzed. And so right there is where you're setting your limits and your love at a distance of like, okay, so and I'll give you an example, because this was that example I gave earlier where I would walk away from conversations. It was because of silence. I mean, I sat for 12 minutes in silence once. (laughs) <laughs> the lady HD brain like exploded a thousand times. Like it was like <laughs> TNT. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't handle it. Yes. And then there's the resistance, right? So mm-hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, like Jeff said, they'll have to come a point where you recognize where your tolerance ends and you're like, yeah. okay, I just can't, I can't wait around anymore. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. Even if it's a yeah. safe person who's not acting out. Right. And I say this to everyone, even if your partner gets safe and they're not acting out and they're all the things you ever wanted, it's okay if your tolerance still runs out. Like you get to choose what you Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes seeing those, you know, seeing like your wife's, you know, taillights in the distance, you know, for a lot of guys is like a wake up call to where, and it's not that you would do it to manipulate this, but, but if that's what you need to do, sometimes it'll wake up something deep inside of them. Like, you know, it can also drive them deeper into shame and they'll disappear, but it can also, I'm just saying like, don't be afraid to like advocate for, again, it's the call and response. Like, you are built like that. We need that. It's not something that is negotiable. Yeah. And there's a lot of messaging, I think, out there, especially around men's health. And I don't want to speak for men, but uh, there, there's, there tends to be some messaging around that being like, no, that's not a man thing. So we just don't need to do it because like, we don't need to talk about our feelings and all that nonsense. Right? Uh, and, and so you don't need to buy into that. We all need the call and response. We all need some level of of connection. Maybe it looks different for different people, but it's not something you have to like. And for most men, it's learned. Like I said, most men, we have to learn it as adults generally, but men are deeply emotional. If you've seen Braveheart, I mean, men are emotional. We feel things very deeply and it's don't give anybody a pass like, well, he can't. I just feel like that's treating them like they're weak and doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, that isn't very loving, right? To just kind of give that pass. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, because tons of men's hearts are exploding from heart attacks because they don't ever talk about what they need to talk about. And it's not helping anybody. 
and committing suicide. And yeah. Right. And, and we're in 2022 and we can expect men to speak up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So really quick, the last question I had, and we've kind of really covered this, but if there's anything maybe practical that that we can come up with, sure. or, you know, okay, so if I'm in a relationship where I am setting these boundaries, and I do love my partner, I want to, I want to be able to express that, but in a way that still protects me. So how can I keep that flame alive while I'm loving at a distance? So we do know that setting the boundaries and doing your self care is a form of love. But is there anything else practical that you wanted to share? Yeah, I think it takes a lot of courage and honesty. I, th- I think if you're well boundaried in the sense of you know what you need to feel safe and to stay, keep your nervous system regulated and have adequate support, and you know you feel you feel as grounded as you can in this process. I get that it's a moving target most days, but don't be afraid to be relational. Uh, I think a lot of the times there's there, especially if you're in groups of other women or other betrayed partners, where there can almost be this survivor's guilt, like, well. You know, I, I wanted to be close to my spouse the other day, or I, we made love, or I felt like I wanted to give him another chance or whatever it is. Like you can be relational because if it's a healthy relationship, it's going to be, you can also change it. Like this is not just lock and load. And, and it's like if, if you commit to something, now you have to commit to having sex every day or whenever, you know, it's, it's, it's like, there has to be, it has to be dynamic. So if you feel relational today, but later this afternoon, you don't feel relational or something changes, then you just honor that and adapt to that. So all I'm saying is that practically speaking, there will be relational moments where you share a laugh together or you enjoy a walk or you do, you know, whether it's something maybe around your kids or maybe like a moment that just feels very genuine and, and like hopeful. Those are like relationship oxygen. It's nice to get a breath every so often, can be a reminder. If it gets into, well, what does this mean now? Then have that conversation. Don't be afraid to say, and I've had this with couples in my office where it's like, you know, I know that we had a really sweet evening last night, whatever, you know, nice dinner, sex, whatever, but I'm going to probably pull back for a little bit just to see what that all means to me. I'm going to take some time and kind of process and see how that feels. And I basically, Hope you'll tolerate that. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. that's all relational. It's like being tied together with a giant rubber band. It's like, you know, you're, there's got to be room to flex. It's not just an overcommitment. And so if you feel like relational stuff is like built on this kind of incline, like one step forward, now it's another step up. We got to keep progressing, moving every time. There's no going back. Like we're just moving up toward the left. La- it's like, no, that's not how it works at all. It's very much dependent on so many other factors and at the core built in with eternal and forever permission that you have a right to keep whatever distance you need to. You have, you know, and it's not your job to single-handedly manage the relationship. I mean, even in healthy relationships, they are boundaried. My relationship is really strong and good with my wife, but we have a boundary in the mornings that I don't talk to her. Mm-hmm. I have to sit with that. Some mornings it really is hard because I have a lot I want to talk about at six in the morning. <laughs> but there's that just tension that invites me in to be loving and supportive. And sometimes I'll forget or I just, I, you know, whatever, but like we come back to it. And the thing is, is that your ability to give yourself permission to take whatever closeness and distance you need will be a huge, huge boost to your own healing but also to the relationship because it sets up a whole new expectation of this is how we're going to live 
now and forevermore, which is being treated as individuals who have different needs, desires, longings, things like that, even temperaments. And like, that is so respectful and so healthy. Yeah. I'm so glad you answered that question in the way you did, because I heard a lot of permission giving that I think that we don't hear in a lot of places. I wrote down healthy relationships are fluid and dynamic. And there is really a a picture out in the world of like, it's just, it's a very, I can't think of a really great word for it. That's not political sounding, but there's this feeling of like, I have to do this step and then this step, and then I'll achieve and I'll get my certificate. And then we won marriage, right? (laughs) And we checked all the right boxes and it's very like capitalistic. Like it's very like check all these boxes and then get this paycheck. But that's not how relation we are relationally. That's not how we are as relational beings. And I love these, the things that you said. And I, I say that a lot about boundaries. And that's what we're talking about really is like, I can set a boundary. I can make a request. I can say, this is what I need and I can change my mind and things mm-hmm. are going to change. And it is a moving target. And there's always these moments. Yep. One example that someone gave that I really love, she's actually someone who ended up getting a divorce and moving on into her life in a different phase. But she was talking back to when she was in her relationship in the messy middle. And she was like, you know, I'm really proud of some things that I did. And one thing that I'm proud of is that whenever I felt love toward him, I knew he loved this little candy and I would put it on his pillow. Yep. That was as much as I could do because I knew he wasn't safe for anything else. But I could honor my feeling of love toward him as a human being. And that was healthy for me. And he could get that little candy bar. And I don't know what he did with it or what he thought about it, but it it never turned into like, and he wasn't really safe for me to hold his hand because that would turn into pressure. That wasn't a safe dynamic, right? And eventually she was able to learn where her limits were and, and get to safety. But I thought that was beautiful that we can be relational beings in the ways that work for us as long as we're tuning in, right? We're tuning into what's safe and what's okay. And we can pull back when we need to. I just, I, yeah, I love that. That's a great example. Yeah. A lot of times I'll tell guys that are, you know, separated or that are in house or out of the house or dealing with a lot of uncertainty in the relationship. And like things aren't looking very hopeful, at least on the outside. And, you know, I'll say to them, I'll, I'll just say things like, I want you to slow down and I want you just like a really fancy, delicate chocolate. I want you just to savor in your soul right now, the fact that she is still married to you. Like, let that regulate your nervous system. Let that just, like, that is a truth right now. Today you are married. She's still in here or she's sitting in the room with you right now. She's willing to even have this conversation. Can you let that impact you? And that is relational. I mean, we are constantly co-regulating each other's bodies and emotions, whether we want to or not, it's happening. And so, you may be blamed that you're not doing enough or that you should be doing more, that you're not relational enough, et cetera. But I'm just, I'm giving you that example to say like, even if all you can do is just stay in the relationship for now, that's enough to co-regulate somebody if they're looking for that way to see that it's relational. I mean, it really, it gets to kind of dumb and dumber levels, right? Like, you know, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> but so sometimes it may be, you know, the odds are very slim, but the truth is, is that they're not one in a million. They're much better than that, especially if he can slow down and regulate. Cause then all of a sudden he's starting to sow some seeds of safety and there might be a way out if he stays dysregulated or if, if he's rejecting the, the relational stuff through, you know, the boundary you're setting, the stuff you need to do or the candy on the pillar, whatever you're doing to try and just stay relational, whatever that looks like for you, then, you know, you may not be able to work with that. There may be nothing to work with. But if there is openness and willingness, you can grow that into something that can eventually thrive and, and flourish. But I'm just very clear about the fact that 
you can do relational work while you're doing this separate work. It's all intertwined and you don't have to somehow think of it like as something down the road or, I mean, yeah, date nights or sex or those things, may be, those may be down the road, but there's yeah. a lot of stuff today that can happen that will help meet that need for you to be a relational person. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Well, I think we just really, we hit the nail on the head there, Jeff. Of course, everything you brought today is just incredible. And I know, again, some of this discussion may be a little a little nuanced, a little hard, but I wonder if you guys have any questions. I think I might have seen one earlier, maybe some comments that I didn't read. So I'll look over those. But if you have any questions for Jeff before we wrap up today, I'll give a little time for that. Um, I did see some comments that I didn't read. It was when we were talking about kind of all of those small end abuses or small B betrayals over and over and over again. And she says, I thought this was a good analogy. She says, it's death by a thousand paper cuts Mm, type of relationship. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Yeah. It's like I tell people like, I don't know if it's still called Chinese water torture. I'm scared to use. Yeah, I don't hurt anybody's feelings about that. You know what they used to call, you are you dripping water on the forehead, right? Like that is just as lethal as a nuclear bomb. Yeah. You know, it just takes longer. Yeah, exactly. And then Kendra is awesome. She's actually speaking tomorrow. She's hopped on today. She was saying the explanation of small abuses over time is just as destructive as big abuses acutely applied. So validating. Good, good. Okay. And then we're just getting thank you. So Oh, awesome. All right. I guess we answered all the questions. But that said, I if you're like me, you think about it, you think about it, and then you come up with questions later. So where's a good place they get a hold of you? Jeff, if they've got quite more questions or are more interested in in the things that you offer. Yeah, you can certainly find me on Instagram, just at Jeff Stewart. And then on my website, there's a contact form, my podcast. And then always you can just find us inside of Connection Plus. But you know, that's obviously a paid membership, but that's we're responding in kind of longer form yeah. to people, but happy to, you know, respond what I can on instant uh, on Instagram and also just on the contact form. Those are probably the two fa- easiest places to get a hold of me, but be happy to answer and respond to anything that you have coming up. So perfect. And then, uh, and I'll add my go check out what he's got on his website and, and his connection plus, because it's, it's really revolutionary. I think the space that you've created. So, all right. Well, thank Thanks, you Kaylee. so, so much. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And we'll send you on your way. But thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful evening. You can learn more about Kaylee and the great work that she's doing by clicking on her link in the show notes. It'll take you to her homepage and you can see all the great things that she's doing. I also recommend you follow her on social media. She's really active on Instagram and has some very clever and informative posts She does a lot of work with something she calls neurointuitive boundaries for partners. And I really admire and respect her and the work that she does. So go check out her stuff. Thanks everyone for listening. Once again, you can download the free resource, The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust, using the link in the show notes. And that'll give you a great free resource that can get you started on your journey of healing and recovery, no matter where you are in the process. Thanks everyone for being here. Have a great week. We'll catch you in the next episode.